Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, we finished reading the Gospel of Mark together last week, and if you were here, uh, you might remember that we talked a little bit about the, the openness of the ending of Mark's Gospel. Uh, Mark left several uh, plot lines unresolved, um, perhaps the most glaring of which was the fate of Peter and the rest of the disciples uh, who had scattered and abandoned Jesus when things got bad. But if you were here, you might remember that there was this beautiful little hint uh, in, in that story of what might happen when the angel at the tomb told the women to go tell the disciples and Peter to meet him in Galilee. And so, spoiler alert, they do meet him in Galilee, and Jesus is incredibly gracious with them. And in particular, he takes time to restore Peter, the one who had denied him. You can read about that. You should read about that later uh, in John 21. So Pastor Dan had this great idea about how we could follow through uh, on that loose end from Mark. So in the next two weeks before Lent begins, we're going to look at the first chapter of the first letter that this restored Peter wrote to the young churches in his care. And uh, Perhaps not surprisingly, what we're going to find is the thing that animates everything that he says in that chapter, the thing that, that drives everything he says in that chapter, is the living, powerful reality of the resurrection of Jesus and what that means uh, for people like you and me. So let me read from uh, 1 Peter 1 for us. I'll read 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 12. You can follow along in the order of worship where it's printed or in a Bible. Or you can just listen as I read from 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, You love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me uh, pray for us. Father, we thank you that you restored Peter, 
that you forgave Peter, that you came to him in your glory and changed him. And we ask now, Father, that you would use these words that he has written um, to show us that grace, that mercy, that glory, to show it to us here this morning in this place. Father, break through whatever it is that's going on in our heads, um, whatever situation we've come from or we're headed to after this, break through all of those things and be present with us in ways that we can feel and know in this moment. Show us the grace of Jesus again and change us by it. And we ask it in his name. Amen. So this week I got up uh, earlier than usual on Wednesday morning so uh, I could take a look at something that I had never seen before, um, the, the super blue blood moon or the super blue red moon. Maybe uh, some of you saw it in the morning or maybe you heard about it. Uh, for a few minutes on Wednesday morning there were these three lunar related things that were happening all at once that don't normally uh, happen together. Uh, first of all, it was the, the second full moon of the month, which gets referred to as the blue moon, as in, you know, that only happens once in a blue moon. The second thing that was going on early in the morning was that the moon was as close as it gets to the Earth in its orbit. And when that happens during a full moon, that's called the supermoon. And then the kicker, the third thing that happened early in the morning that morning was that there was a, a full lunar eclipse that happened. That's the, the red moon or the blood moon. And so I had read um, that, that it had been since uh, right after the Civil War when all of these three things happened together for the last time. I was, I was excited to see something that was so rare. Um, before bed that night, though, before the, the morning that I got up, my wife Allison told me that actually it was really 1982 was the last time that it happened. <laughs> I was undeterred by her callous attempt at spoiling my fun, and I got up anyway. And I have to admit, I shook the kids awake so that they could take a peek at it, too. And I got to tell you, it was pretty cool. It was awesome to see. If you missed it, no worries. It happens again in 2037. You can mark your calendars now. And I have to tell you that I love, I love stuff like that. It's not, not because I'm a stargazer or anything like that. I'm not. I just like stuff that enlivens a sense of wonder in me. The world is, is wilder and wider and more wonderful than I usually take notice of. And I love it when there are things that happen that remind me that that's true that there's more to this reality than what I normally take in every day. And that remind me that I'm this little speck taking it all in as the moon and the earth and the whole galaxy glide by doing all the crazy stuff they do. And I feel the same way uh, a lot. I feel that same sense of wonder like when a huge snowstorm cripples our city and stops everything. I, I feel that same sense of wonder during a summer afternoon thunderstorm, you know, that, that turns the sky all kinds of weird different colors. I feel, honestly, that same sense of wonder just when the power goes out on my block. Um, wonder helps me to apprehend the way things really are. It points me to reality. And I think when we apprehend the way things really are, 
we change. And so I bring this up because I think that something like that wonder runs straight through this passage that we just read and heard together. Peter knows that something incredibly wild and unexpected and untamable and thrilling and dangerous has happened. He knows it. He doesn't imagine that it's true. He knows that it's true because he saw it. And he knows that the reverberations of this thing ring throughout the entire created order. They go back to the beginning and then forward to the consummation of all things. And now that he has apprehended this thing, now that he has seen it, he has been changed. And he'll never be the same guy again. He will never, ever go back. And of course, the thing that has changed him is right there in the first verse that we read. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So I don't know if you noticed it while I was reading it. it, um, I don't know if it stuck out to you, but this writing here um, is not the easiest to follow. It's all piled up. It's all jumbled together on top of each other, these sentences and these words, in the best way possible. After the opening greeting of the letter, Peter starts things off in earnest with a prayer. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's like the call to worship that we do at the beginning of a service, but in the form of a prayer. And then this is what it looks like. It looks like Peter just keeps on praying out all of the reasons that God should be blessed. Reason after reason. And then he goes off into these digressions that expand on those reasons and that amplify those reasons. And then in the end, it's never really clear when his praying stops and when the writing of the letter, the teaching of the letter starts. Maybe just the first line is the prayer. Maybe all of it's a prayer. We don't know. Either way, what's clear is that he finally stops for a breath at the end of verse 12. And this whole thing together, everything that we read together, is just this one long, circuitous, beautiful thought. It's incredibly dense, but at the same time, it is incredibly simple. He is saying, on the one hand, that the resurrection of Jesus and the salvation that it brings to people like you and me is so mind-bending, so mysterious, so good, that the angels longed to take a look at it before it went down. They longed to know what was going to happen. But on the other hand, it's very clear that Peter believes and that Peter wants us to believe that apprehending Jesus' resurrection profoundly changes the everyday lives of people like you and me. So Peter says to his friends that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, God has caused us to be born again into a living hope. So I want us to talk about both parts of that, being born again and being born again into a living hope. Peter says the resurrection causes those of us who believe to be born again. And I probably don't need to tell you this. You probably already know this because you feel it often. That phrase, born again, has fallen on hard times, culturally speaking. When that phrase gets used in pop culture, it normally doesn't mean anything good. It normally doesn't refer to anything positive. 
When that phrase gets used in pop culture, it it usually means a certain kind of Christian, maybe a dramatic or emotional one, maybe a certain kind of political or social view attached to that person. When when that phrase gets used in public, it's normally like this. Well, that person, she's a born-again Christian, so, you know, that's how she's going to be. Now, I don't know how it got that way. I think it may have something to do with Chuck Colson or Jimmy Carter and their use of that language. I, I don't know, honestly. That's for the historians to sort out. I just know that it's true and that it's incredibly unfortunate because that is not how the New Testament uses that phrase. Starting with Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John 3 and continuing out through the rest of the New Testament letters, there is simply no other way to describe a Christian than as a person who has been born again. In the New Testament, it's not a certain kind of Christian with certain kinds of beliefs and certain kinds of proclivities. It is the only kind of Christian. There is just no available image that is quite so potent and quite so accurate as that for being a Christian. New birth, new creation, starting over again. And I think every one of us in here this morning knows what it's like to want that. You don't have to be a Christian to want that. You just have to be a human to want that. I think we long for it as human beings, and that longing works itself out in our lives in all kinds of ways, big and small. Why, why, when we're at the grocery store, do we dig past all of the dented cereal boxes to get to the one pristine cereal box with the square corners? Why do we reject the, the dented can of green beans. You know, why does it give us such joy, such incredible joy, to get our inbox to zero? Right? When I get my inbox to zero, I tell people about it. I sing it from the rooftops. Why do we feel a real sense of genuine peace? when we're sitting in a living room that has been tidied up? Why do we feel that that thrilling childlike joy when we come up out of the tunnel and we see a perfectly manicured baseball field? Why, Why do we inhale the scent of the pages of a new book? Right? Why do we do that? Well, we do that And we feel those things because it is built in our humanity. It is built deep into us to long for the new and the right and the beginning and the true. Before things got so messed up, before things got so out of whack, we long for new creation. And that's what Peter is saying that the resurrection of Jesus gets for people whose faith rests in the Jesus who was resurrected. I mean, it seems like it's almost too much to take in. It seems like it couldn't possibly be true. But Peter and the rest of the New Testament writers say it over and over again. They want us to know that it's true. He is saying to his friends what God did for Jesus on that first Easter morning. 
He has done for you to the deepest part of who you are, deep into the core of your being. You have been raised with Jesus. You have been made new. You have been born again. And part of what it means to be born again is to begin to be able to sense and to begin to be able to apprehend, probably with wonder, the full reality of the world around us. The full truth of the world around us. That it's not just me that needs resurrection. It's not just me that needs new life. It is the whole world that needs to be made new. It's the whole world that needs resurrection. To be, to be born again is to begin to be able to have ears to hear. Like, like the Apostle Paul says in Romans. It's to begin to be able to hear the groaning of the whole creation. The groaning of the whole creation to be made new. The longing that exists everywhere around us to be made new. And church, if we've been given ears to hear that, then we have also been given the task of making it happen, and we have been given the power to do it. Our vocation, our calling is to be born-again people, resurrection people, new creation people in every place where we find ourselves. If we are those people, then we're going to be working towards new creation in our friendships and in our families. We will not let, we will not let hurt stand. We will not withhold our forgiveness. We will work towards reconciliation if that is who we are. We will work towards making things new in our workplaces and on the blocks where we live and with our neighbors who are in pain, with neighborhoods all over the city and out into the whole world. That is what we are called to as a church. We are called to play our part, whatever it is, right? Whatever my particular resources and talents and abilities are, whatever yours are, whatever ours are collectively, to use those things to play a part in making the kingdom and the rule that the empty inbox points to <laughs> a reality on earth as it is in heaven. And as we do that, if we do that, church, maybe this phrase that has taken such a beating in our culture, born again, <laughs> maybe will start to be restored to its proper meaning and its fullest meaning, the way Jesus meant it when he talked to old Nicodemus in the middle of the night. Because there is no other way to be a Christian. What God did for Jesus when he raised him from the dead, he has done for all of us who have faith in him. And you need to hear this. You need to hear that this is not pie-in-the-sky stuff. This is red-blooded, every day, right here, right now stuff. Because when we really apprehend grace like that, when we really apprehend what the resurrection of Jesus means for us and for the whole world, then we change. When we apprehend Jesus' resurrection, we change. And the evidence of that change is that we start playing our part in making new birth happen in this groaning creation all around us. So let's talk about the second thing that Peter says God has caused to happen because of the resurrection of Jesus. Yes, he says you have been born again, and he's really specific about what it is that we have been born into. He says you have been born again into a living hope. 
a living hope. I heard an interview a couple of weeks ago with a minor celebrity who has uh, Chicago roots, who's moved away now, who's in entertainment. And the interviewer asked him what people on the coasts think of Chicago. (laughs) You can already imagine what this guy said. He said they know that it's someplace to avoid. Now, I don't mention that to you so that you get defensive or so that you roll your eyes, even though I have the urge to do both of those things. I bring it up because as cliched as it is, as hackneyed as it is, it allows us to be honest. We don't need anyone to make diagrams for us about the trouble of Chicago. Right? In the last two weeks, it's come to light that lawyers for the city have withheld evidence in two cases against the city. That's, that's textbook Chicago corruption. You don't need to dig to find it. It's in black and white in the paper. No one needs to draw maps for us about how our city has been carved up by race. Those maps exist. They're written into the history of our city. 664 homicides last year, 10% of the city's population living at less than half of the federal poverty line. These are not hard facts to get a hold of. You don't have to search. They're there all around us. So yeah, we, we could avoid Chicago, or we could take some courage. And we could ask ourselves, well, what is it going to take? What might it take to change? What might it take to begin to change in that little place of the city where I am? Well, Peter knows. And he's desperate for us to know what it would be that could begin change. And here's the truth, church. Human beings are inescapably shaped by their vision of the future. Human beings are inescapably shaped by their vision of the future. If your vision for the future looks exactly like the present, like violence and corruption and danger and fear and poverty and whatever else we're going through as individuals, if that's your vision for the future, then nothing about the present reality will change. But if something breaks in, if something breaks into that, and says, no, you don't understand. Things will be different. You don't, you don't understand. You have to understand that things will change. That things can be born again. They can be made new. They can be restored. Well, if something breaks in, then your present can begin to be shaped by that future reality. And church, the resurrection of Jesus is the thing that's broken in. And it didn't mumble. It screamed new creation. And so Peter is drinking so deeply from this well of the resurrection of Jesus. He piles up all of this language about this future that's breaking in. He says it's imperishable, it's an inheritance, it's undefiled, it's unfading, it's waiting, it's ready to be revealed to the people who are being guarded by faith. In other words, there is a future that's certain. And if you apprehend it, it will change everything about the present. Because we change. We change when our vision for the future changes. The resurrection of Jesus doesn't just say that there is a new future possible. 
It says it will happen. Even if, as Peter says, we are grieved by various trials in the present. And that means that you and I, that we together can have a hope that is alive in us. A living hope that is burning and breathing and yelling and working. A a living hope that's like Bruce Coburn put it so well, that kicks at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. As Peter says it, even though you haven't seen him, you love him. Even though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And I don't know about you, I need more of that. I need more of inexpressible joy filled with glory. And a lot less of the chronic boredom and disaffection and cynicism and mistrust that our culture is peddling on the cheap. That stuff is dehumanizing. That stuff is paralyzing. And it doesn't have any place in the life of someone who has been born again. And so to us, Peter sings the sweet song of the resurrection of Jesus. You have been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You are headed towards a future, and a future is headed towards you. Where broken things are fixed, and bent things are made straight, and violent neighborhoods become places of shalom, and broken hearts get mended, and cynics become open-handed and trusting, and sorrow and tears are wiped away. That future is secure, church, precisely because of the resurrection of Jesus. And at the risk of sounding like a broken record, that is not pie-in-the-sky stuff. The New Testament never talks about it that way. You can read it from beginning to end, and you will never hear the New Testament talk about the future that is being guarded for us, that is breaking into our present. You will never hear them talk about it like, oh, shucks, won't that be nice one day when we fly off into the sky and melt into the sweet by and by. It's not there. You'll never find that. Instead, the writers of the New Testament tell us over and over again that the future that is secured by the resurrection of Jesus is stubborn. It refuses to stay in the future. It marches headlong towards our present, and it changes us, and it strengthens us, and it purifies us, and it gives us living, red-blooded hope. The kind of hope we need to live as we have been called to live right here and right now. This is, as Peter puts it so beautifully, this is what the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glories have secured for us. These, church, are the things into which angels long to look. And because of what Jesus has done for us, they are ours to hold forever with the hands of repentance and faith. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would help us to see this again and to hear this again and to believe. That we would trade in all of that stuff that paralyzes us and that dehumanizes us, that we would trade in all of that cheap stuff that makes us not believe. 
the disaffection and the cynicism, the throwing up of our arms in the air, that we would trade all of that stuff in and believe. Believe that there is a future secured for us by the resurrection of Jesus that marches into our present, that can change everything. Father, help us to believe that that's true, not just in our heads, but deep down into the core of who we are, that you have raised us with Jesus and given us what we need to live in this world. Father, help us to believe for our own good and for the good of the broken world around us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.